once again I get to come up and I, I'm not going to disappoint you all. Or I might disappoint you all. There's a word that I usually bring up here and it's called shame. So I'm not starting with that. I just started with that, didn't I? Um, <clears throat> but it's going to be a word you'll hear later on. Um, something I know from the bottom of my heart. Once I realized what shame was in my life, it changed me. Started to change me. By His Spirit, um, I've been changed. Um, I've got a volunteer that's offered to bring up a, one of the props. And uh, so I want to prepare this. So the message today was, uh, if you saw it in the bulletin or whatever, was it is finished. And, uh, but I want to take you to a place where, uh, uh, first I want to go on a little road trip. I get the privilege of uh, uh, traveling to Georgia a couple times a year. Um, and it's through ministry, it's Fellowship of the Sword Quest. And uh, I want to take you on a little road trip down at uh, those travels through the boring state of Ohio um, <coughs> into West Virginia, Virginia, and then to the mountains of North Carolina. What I want to start out with to lead us into it is finish it. God's amazing grace. I stand you here. I stand here today as a witness to his amazing grace. Um, but anyway, on that trip, I call it the Vista View. I'm talking about grace. How can we really fathom what it is? And uh, um, we see things. We've heard the, this thing. We've probably said it. We've heard it uh, as far as the eye can see. And uh, during when I, when I think about that, I know it's uh, um, visualized, the human eye, as far as the eye can see. But then there's the mind's eye. And how far does that take us? The imagination that God gave us to see things that aren't right there, that we sense them. Um, so on the travels to North Carolina, we get into the mountains. And the, um, in the spring, North Carolina's a gorgeous state. Even where there's a highway and they have an off-ramp, they plant shrubberies, they plant flowers. So in the spring, it's beautiful. Even for a guy like me, it's beautiful. <clears throat> but once we get into the mountains, um, in the fall, it changes. Everything changes. The colors there in, in late October are starting to come to their peak, and um, you just marvel at it. The cow pastures are nice, lush green with a lot of black cows, but the, the hillsides are covered with these brilliant colors. And as you go through the mountains, as far as the eye can see, changes so much. <clears throat> it actually has conga are these rock walls going up both sides of the road. You might see a stream down on the right-hand side, but the colors on these wall, on the, on the hillsides, or the rock walls, I should say, and through tunnels, they block our view. Um, they block my view. Uh, so it changes. It could be foggy. We think about day and night. It changes how far the eye can see. But in our mind's eye, as we're traveling up through the, through the mountains, there's a place. I call it the Vista View for myself. As we come through a tunnel, we continue the ascent to, to the pinnacle of what I think is the top, the highest mountain, and the highest one I can see there, is I'll look out and we come through a turn. I can still picture it if I close my eyes. I picture the turn. Rock walls on both sides, and as we turn out of that, I can look out and see as far as the eye can see. It's amazing. The detail and the colors on the trees and the shrubberies right near the road are vivid. They're right there in front of us. And as I look, it's hundreds, maybe thousands of feet below stretching out through that valley again, as far as the eye can see. It's beautiful. But the farther I look out, 
the colors become less intense. They're there, but they start blending together and it's just a sea of colors. Then there comes a point. I don't know how far that is, but I picture it as far as my eye can see. Suddenly it turns to a gray. There's no more distinction in any of it. Um, but in my heart, I know there's more. There's far more to it. And, and then the last trip, last fall when I was making that bend, God spoke to me and said, son, this is what my grace is like. There's more than you can see. There's more than you can imagine. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, Charles. I'm going to stay behind this because uh, I'm not trying to dodge it. But what I've worn up here, man, is God's amazing grace. It's all the things that he died for us. Jesus carried right here to the cross. The baggage I've been carrying for a long time. The weight of sin and shame. We can take it off, guys. And I want to lead you on that journey right now. I want to take you where I believe he's talked to me about for a while. Um, certainly, I mean, had life-changing in, <clears throat> in my life. The subject here, again, and I want to go back. I'm sure some of you have seen these Vista views. You've maybe been to the Grand Canyon. You might have gone to the Rocky Mountains. You might have something right here in Michigan that going out to the lakeshore, looking as far as the eye can see over Lake Michigan, um, finding beauty in that in a storm or whatever it is, and seeing his grace for what he's given us. <clears throat> in... Uh, in the book of John, um, the story was uh, um, when Jesus was actually here. He was already here on this cross. So I'm going to make that story a little short. We've been to that part before. Um, but in John uh, uh, chapter 9, 10, um, 19, I'm sorry, chapter 19. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 27 um, or 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a, ve now a vessel full of sour wine was, was sitting there, and they filled a, a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That's those nice words to read, but you know, I'd look at, uh, at our Savior, King, Son, this is our God. He's hung here. I picture that at that moment, in the last moment of his, his physical life, Jesus didn't just whisper out, it is finished. I believe he was strong enough. He, was, he went for us in, in everything he had, and he said, he, got, he, he mustered up enough strength to look at all the Roman soldiers and everyone that had just spit on him. And I picture the cross being this height. I don't picture it that 20 feet. I picture him right down at eye level where they could look at his nakedness, spit in his face. And he boldly said, it is finished. I begged to me when I was listening to that once upon a time was what was finished, exactly what was finished. And I'm here to tell you today, it's far more than just the redemption. It's far more than forgiveness. 
And some of the things that he's talked to me about recently is what what I've brought here. So we're going to come back to that. But when he said it is finished, oh, there's back here, sexual immorality, debauchery, rebellion, malice. You can see some of the things on the front. We can add a whole list of things that we know in our heart that have been true about it. That's what he did. He doesn't see it anymore. What a beautiful Savior. Now, I want to quick go, I'm going to fast forward to something. I'll take us down a little different trail for a minute, but we will come back to it is finished. Many of you know I left the church at the age of 13. Um, I knew that I couldn't jump through enough hoops. I couldn't be good enough long enough. I I was raised in a a very traditional but uh, legalistic environment. Um, Even my parents were under that legalism. They didn't like it, but they didn't know what or how to do about it. But my grandparents were the, what I would call the main culprits of it. They were so entrenched that uh, um, I became a victim of it. Some of it was my doing, some of it was because of my desire, for sure. But uh, um, by God's grace, and only by his grace, I returned to the church at age 59. I had 46 years of living in hell. So as I just read in uh, John 19, uh, verses 28 through 30, um, you know, that should be, and it should be, I don't like the word should, but it should be the mountaintop cry of all of Christianity. So in your mind's eye right now, man, um, the beating, the crucifixion, all the horror that, that Jesus went through, I'm going to ask you to take him on. Some of the guys I know from another group they hear me say, oh, just close your eyes. So I'm going to ask you all for 30 seconds to set your heart true to what Jesus did for us. And close your eyes and envision what he went through. The beating, the crucifixion. Let him speak to your heart. We want time to speed up sometimes. sometimes but 30 seconds is, is a long time. 30 seconds is enough to see with a mind's eye an awful lot. I don't know what he showed you right there. He showed me his pure love and grace. <clears throat> I needed a lot of healing from the early days in the church. Um, and I say the church, I'm, I, I'm actually referring to not the building. Some of it, yes. But some of it was from the people in it. Um, I remember, vaguely remember, as a little guy, <clears throat> I think I started an addiction to uh, pink peppermints because it kept me from moving around and stuff, obeying all the rules. But uh, I vaguely remember preachers when I had to go, had to go every Sunday night with my grandparents um, and, and pointing the, the preacher. If you do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do that, you're going to hell. And I did it all or I didn't do it all. I didn't know what to do with that as a child. But I know it was ongoing and it was real uh, to me. I've told you before about the, when my grandparents told me, you're going to hell. Just fly, that was it. There was no grace, no mercy. I haven't told you why. 
And I know one of the reasons came back to me is um, I took $2 from a drawer that wasn't their mind to get into, and it was my grandparents. And that was their response. There was no grace. There was no mercy. There was no type of discipline. It was only the words, you're going to hell. So as soon as my parents gave me the opportunity at age 13, we've brought you as far as we can. It's up to you to decide. I decided. And I left the church. I left the body of Christ. Um, yeah. So my experience early on in the church was... Uh, uh, was what I, I believe some other people have already heard and experienced is first thing I had to behave properly. Then I had to believe properly. I had to attend every Sunday school. I had to go to catechism. I had to do this. I had to do that. And if I followed all them steps, I might fit in. I might just make it. But I'd already told you, I gave up. I gave up. So today, I'm standing up here and I'm telling you that uh, healing is beautiful. It's ongoing right now. Um, I've had different teachings since uh, my uh, best friend's wife introduced me to Resurrection Life Church. Um, Joyce Meyer event, and I just fell in love with the worship music. I still love worship today, um, thankfully. But I've been hearing and listening to different teachings, and I have been the intentionality now of studying the things, the lies that I used to believe and seeing where I, they really are. What is truth? What is, Jesus came full of grace and truth. I didn't hear that from my grandparents. I didn't hear that from many other people in the church in, the, in that day. <clears throat> so I'm studying intentionally to, uh, um, to start to challenge the lies. And it's changing, slowly changing. But I've surrounded myself, uh, thankfully, with good men. I mentioned going to Georgia to be on a quest event. And uh, I get the privilege of serving other men now and doing that, helping them and being with them and offering what, what I have. Um, I, I seem to have the ability to love others right where they're at. Um, God, thank God, because uh, that's what he's done for me. But I've surrounded myself, fortunately, with very good men who walk with me. They'll stand with me even when my weakest day, even in my worst time. Um, we do a thing, no stones. Who cast the first stone? He was not sinned. Um, we, we walk in that. And it's the quest event that I've been on. I've, I've got some friends that have been uh, attended a road event. It's a Chuck Cowell uh, ministry. It's uh, local, um, powerful. But I also have men there that do the same thing. They'll walk with me, they'll talk with me, and they, they don't turn their head toward me when I say something or do something that might seem or is inappropriate. And I, the same for them. And there's another group I want to make mention of right now that's been coming very special to me. <clears throat> it's a group of men that I meet with every Friday morning. And we share that same thing. We don't go through scripture after scripture and stuff, which I'm sharing a few of those today. What we do is share our lives. We talk about what it's like to raise an aging grandparent or what it's like to have rebellious kids or what it, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid I've done this. I couldn't help it. Gosh, the other day I was lonely. My wife was going on a trip and I went in the shower and then, oh crap. Or I looked at the computer the other day and I don't know where it came from, but I clicked on that site again. 
And we don't criticize each other. We, don't, we pray for one another. We're honest. I've heard something that was said to me once upon a time when the circumstances or when, when the results of being transparent is like being caught. Why do it? There's healing in when the light is shined on things. And that, that group has become very powerful in my life, helping me immensely. Um, so I'm going to take a second and talk about Jesus and his friends. So we choose our friends, and he says, choose your friends wisely. But you know, he said, Jesus calls us friends. Um, Jesus was a friend to sinners. Uh, while we were still sinners, he died for us. But we look at the ones he surrounded himself with. Tax collectors were, were known for being thieves and robbers. And the fishermen, he saw a bunch of fishermen there. I am one. I, I love fishing. I know a couple of the guys in here that have gone fishing. And I got to tell you, fishermen are notorious liars. We, 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 we stretch the truth at every opportunity. Um, so there you are. Jesus chose people of less than perfect character to be his best friends. The beauty of it is when I look at that is I've got a chance yet. Maybe you fit in as a fisherman or a tax collector, I don't know. But we have a chance because take a look at the friendship that he made. He wanted to be friends. He wanted to show his love toward people. And how did they turn out? Many of them he, he entrusted us. He entrusted the gospel. He entrusted the world. Those are pretty good shoes that he had, they had to fill. They did an amazing job. So looking at how Jesus loves people, wants to be friends, it started to change my belief system. Jesus had it flipped around from the old days when I heard it. And maybe you heard it that way. Because now I belong. We can say, I've heard it, so I believe it. But there's something different. We, we are, us men are visual, so I tried to take you on a visual journey, which we're also experiential learners. Nobody ever had to tell me again, don't hit your thumb with that hammer because it's going to hurt. When I did it, I was thinking new from then on, don't do that again, if at all possible. I've done it again. So, um, um, but my belief says I do belong. You belong, man. You already belong. The words that is finished, and we're still going to continue on with that. <clears throat> I am believing more in what he truly says about me because he's surrounded me with Friday men. He's surrounded me with quest men. He's surrounded me with road men, men that truly have my, my back. <clears throat> I trust each one of them men because I've developed a trust and a friendship. Thank you very much, Jim. Love you, buddy. I trust him with my life. I trust him with my family. I hope you find that here. I hope you find a group like that. It's precious. <clears throat> so, as I said, I'm starting to believe more about what the Bible says and what about Jesus said. But my behavior is changing. My behavior is changing. There's one person that will tell you the truth about that. It's my precious wife. It's my starting point. 
People ask me today, walking, how you doing? I said, I think I'm doing pretty good, but I really want you to go ask my wife. Are you up to that challenge? <clears throat> Mine's pretty sharp in more ways than one. <clears throat> but right now, guys, because I've told you about these things and Jesus and his friends and what he's done here and the mess on the floor and um, the way to sin his office, um, I'd like to introduce you to a, a story my wife brought me, and it's about a snowman. We're visual, and I want to take, kind of tie this into being visual and experiential at the same time, but ooh, here he is. I hope this isn't in too many guys' way, but um, I call my wife a stalker because she, uh, um, there's a four-year-old who lives across the street, and ever since she was born, she couldn't keep her eyes off him. Everything he does, I, she'll come in and tell me what KJ did. She won't even say hi to me. Walk in the door and, hey, KJ's out doing this. Says, hi, honey, I'm glad you're home. And we go on about KJ. Well, it was just a few weeks ago when we had a snowstorm. My wife did her normal, and I love it. She came in the door, <clears throat> changed her clothes. She threw on a warm coat, put on a winter hat, changed into her boots, and uh, in her winter boots, and ran across the street and everything and said, hi, Skip, I'm home. And I just, I went, after about a half hour, I thought, I'm, I'm going to go over and see what she's up to. Looked out the bathroom window where she always looks out, you know, and I, uh, I looked over there, and she's building a snowman with KJ and uh, his babysitter for the day. And uh, this is what they came up with. In, uh, in one word, what would you describe that snowman as? I thought right away, that's pathetic. Um, but I didn't say it when she came back in the house. But as you can see, I grabbed my camera because that's supper time. My precious wife said, I think there's a story. I think there's a teaching in this as a visual. Um, so I looked out the window again and when they made it, it was similar, but as you can see, the dark spots down at toward the bottom, um, they're pine cones that once upon a time were his eyes and his ears. And off to your left side, uh, there's an orange carrot laying there that once upon a time was his nose. Only an hour before, he's already falling apart, looking pretty desperate here. Deformed, actually, he's kind of tilting, but as I looked upon that, I went out and took a picture because her words were, I know that the Bible says that I have been washed as white as snow, that Jesus did that for us. But I wonder how many times I look at myself and feel like this. So the Bible tells us that uh, in uh, Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And then there's the snowman. As I watched her building it, I saw some of the dark spots on it. You can see the, the ground wasn't frozen, and all, but that's how it was made. And the dark spots, I watched them try to take a stick and cut them off. The deformity came because it, they ran deeper than they could cut. Then I saw them get the idea they'd get some white snow from here and there and start patching it up. They did cover some, 
But for a poor analogy of it all, actually, it started to bleed through. It's, the, it's our shame. What are we covering it up with, men? What do we do to try and cover up the shame? What is it about our image protection that we want to protect ourselves? Is it the fear of man that we try to cover up our shame? Fear-based and shame-based questions are something that we can fill in the blank. And I want to ask you a couple. What will they say if, I, if they knew I did this? So we cover up with a little extra work. We do something to hide the shame that we feel. But the other direction, or the other half of that would be, what would, they, what would I say if I know they did this? Have we done that? Do we do that? Man, I believe we're chasing people away from the body of Christ. How many times have we looked to the side or looked a little sideways at somebody that came in the door of our church because they smelled like cigarette smoke? How many times have we said when pastor says, turn around, meet and greet somebody, and we shake their hand and instantly our heart changes because we smelled alcohol in their breath? There's a number of things. Fill in the blank. What are we hiding? And why can't we accept them? I'm going to yell it out right now, guys. Let's not go back to the garden ever again. We don't want to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But we do it. It's instinctively in us. The idea of what's right, what's wrong. We sit in judgment. So I want to go back to the question. I'm going to try and end quite quickly here now, running short. <clears throat> what it was finished, redemption, the forgiveness, and I'm going to tell you it was the new covenant. The new covenant, the good news. That's what I came up here for to, to tell you today. It's the great news of the new covenant. We, we, I'm going to skip one verse here that... Uh, it was about Samuel, but it was talking about men. God doesn't see as men as men see. We look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But there was a verse in Jeremiah 31, 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in, the, in that day. I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was their husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. We're living in that day today, man, the new covenant. The beauty of it is that from what I can see, it's unbreakable. The Israelites, they broke it. I'd break it. I break it every day. Beauty, it's not our covenant, man. It was made between God the Son and God the Father. We don't have to uphold that covenant. It's been done for us. It's been done in us. There's some scriptures that uh, I've used quickly to back this up. And not to back it up, but this is God's word, so... He did it. 
Galatians 2.20. So study some of these things. Get them in your heart. You may want to talk about them next week. Galatians 2.20. As I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live by in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to, sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You've seen my robe. I hope you wear one today, man, when you walk out of here. The fullness of your righteousness. Not what we've done, but who we are. Colossians 3.3 For he died, and your life is hidden. Whoa. For you died, or he died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. He doesn't even see us anymore. The beauty of it, when God looks down, when I've done something, when I've said something, when I'm holding unforgiveness, sees Jesus. On my worst day, on your worst day, he looks down and says, I see my son. I see Jesus Christ. I see Skip hidden in my son. 1 Timothy 2.15 tells us that for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. He's standing between us every minute. Hebrews 8.6 says something very similar. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And I want us today to take hold of the beauty, study what the new covenant has said to us. When Jesus went, when Jesus went to the cross, he went there to carry our shame. So the agony of, of shame in my life, I can testify to that. The agony of the shame in my life was built on one simple lie. It was the lie that I needed to do more to be better in order to be blessed by God and to be loved by Him. In one long walk, one long torturous walk, Jesus did in one second, which I've said before in three words, God helped me and he delivered me from alcoholism. In one three word thing, it is finished. It's finished, man. There's nothing to hide from one another. Transparency is how he heals us. I've got a bag of rocks. We've got to hurry. We've got a bag of rocks here. Sin and shame that we've been carrying on our backs. I have been carrying on my back for far too long. If someone would please, Kurt, would you, would you help me? 
<clears throat> would you just take this back? You can still hear me, I'm sure. Spread a bunch of those out on them tables back there for the food tables. They're empty now. <clears throat> Man, the Holy Spirit placed on me this morning that these weren't just to be dropped here. But if there's anyone, for any amount, any amount of the shame inside of you, if you're carrying any, or something, I'm not going to name sins. They're all asleep. But if you have something inside you that says, I'm flawed, I'm not worthy, I know there's something that I'm not as much as I should be. There's a name for that. It's called shame. As we leave here today, I'd like to invite you to walk back and pick up a stone. Carry that stone with you. Put it by your wallet. Put it by your car keys. Whatever you do, take it with you all week long, wherever you go. As God speaks to you this week about what that shame might be, what that incident, what that baggage you're still carrying is, have it be a reminder and bring it back with you next week. That's a challenge. Bring it with you next week. And I believe there's going to be something else he's going to reveal to me of how we're going to get rid of that. How you're going to be able to release it to him and be healed. Whatever it is. He's that good. His grace is enough. Thank you for your time, man. Sorry to have gone over slightly. Praise God. Gentlemen, you've got the challenge. Good word, Skip. Thank you so much for your obedience. Uh, come back next week. We're going to hear the rest of what Skip, whatever the Lord reveals to Skip, and then we're going to break this down and talk about it at our tables. So with that, don't just go out and be blessed. Go out and be a blessing. Don't just go out and say, well, I wonder what's going to happen today. Go out and make something happen today. Don't just go out of this place and say, you know, I went to church today. Go out and be the church. Amen? All right. God bless you all. Have a great week.